Today, we're talking about Israel's ground invasion and what comes next, spine-chilling threats made against Jewish students at Cornell, breaking down this Mr. Beast scandal that had people calling him a misogynist, but others saying that it was completely overblown. And the main shooter is now dead, but we're also getting reports revealing some massive red flags. We're talking about all that and so much more on today's extra-large Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news, so just make sure you're subscribed and let's jump into it. Starting with, so you've probably seen by now that the shooter in Maine was found, but what we're seeing is that every answer to how this happened is only opened up even more questions. Although if you didn't see, the 40-year-old shooter's body was found on Friday night inside a cargo trailer parked on the lot of a recycling plant where he once worked, with him apparently taking his own life, bringing the 48-hour manhunt to an end. But now, more than ever, people are demanding answers as to why nobody saw this coming, with a lot of scrutiny being directed at the Sagadahawk County Sheriff's Office in particular. And that is because the National Guard had told them that the shooter, who was a reservist at the time, had begun hearing insulting voices in his head as early as the spring, and they had only gotten worse, with him even reportedly accusing three of his fellow soldiers of calling him a pedophile in July and shoving one of them in a parking lot for it. Right, and that was actually the incident that got him evaluated by a psychiatrist who committed him for two weeks. But then also, soon after he was released, there was another incident in which he was driving home from a casino with a fellow soldier and started going on about people calling him a pedophile again. And according to a National Guard statement, when his friend told him to knock it off because he was going to get in trouble for talking about shooting up places and people, he punched him. We've also learned, meanwhile, in August, the shooter reportedly tried to buy a gun silencer from a store in Maine, but the owner actually refused to let him have it after he disclosed on a forum they had mental health issues. Then, less than six weeks before the shooting, the Maine National Guard reportedly asked local police to do a welfare check on the shooter. And that because a fellow guardsman was concerned that the reservist was going to snap and commit a mass shooting, according to a welfare check report. And there, a responding deputy also told beforehand that when he answers a door at his trailer in the past, he usually does so with a handgun in hand out of view from the person outside. But also, by this time, the shooter had already legally purchased the rifle that he would use in the next month's shooting, as well as a pistol in July. And while reportedly the deputies did not make contact with him, they did soon learn about his guns and mental health problems. Though they were told by his unit commander that the shooter no longer had any guard weapons. And the man's brother reportedly told him that he and his father would make sure that the man didn't have access to his personal firearms, which also may explain why the police appear to have only written up a file six missing persons report and then reportedly closed the case on October 1st. But notably, according to Maine's legal code, they could have done much more under its yellow flag law. Because there, if someone is believed to be dangerous and has access to firearms, law enforcement can take them into custody and have them evaluated by a medical professional. And then, after a diagnosis, a judge can approve in order to temporarily remove their firearms. But what we ended up seeing in this case is that none of that appears to have happened, and now 18 lives have been cut short for no good reason. Which also, there, speaking of the victims, we now have more information about who was killed, with the police saying those killed ranged from 14 to 76 years in age, including a father and son, as well as a group of deaf friends playing cornhole at the bar. These people forced to leave behind children, siblings, parents, friends, romantic partners, and a whole community who remember each other for who they were. You had a high school freshman, a shipbuilder, a sports player, a sign language interpreter, a youth bowling league coach, people who were those things, but also so much more. And in some cases, they were fucking heroes. Like two fathers at the bowling alley who reportedly charged the shooter after making sure their wives and children were safe, but they didn't make it. And then at the bar, the manager reportedly grabbed a butcher knife and he tried to attack the shooter, but he was shot and killed. And I think it's important we talk about them and we think about them because this happens at such a rate that it's like, we we know it's going to happen. There, there's a shooting, everyone spouts talking points, and then it's on to the next thing. But in the meantime, as it happens with all these situations, you have this community that is just stuck with the work of mourning and grief. The impact for them goes beyond just the news cycle. Though in the meantime, we have seen the community come together with hundreds of people from in and around Lewiston gathering at the riverfront near Lisbon for a candlelight vigil on Saturday. And so with all this, I just want to say my thoughts and well wishes to all those affected during this this saddening and infuriating time. And then, this cop that we have to talk about right now had such a problem with the prosecutor that he actively sabotaged multiple cases to the point of a guy charged with murder walking free. Right, so this is Roger Murphy, and he's been working for the St. Louis Police Department since 1995. He became a detective back in 2007, and four years later, he was transferred to the homicide unit, and he was good at his job. But then, in 2016, prosecutor Kim Gardner was elected as the circuit attorney for St. Louis. And notably, Gardner and the police department were at odds well before her election, but when she assumed the office, it really kicked into high gear. 
year. Right? In her first year, she accused the department of withholding evidence in two dozen cases where an officer shot someone. And her first high-profile case was one that she inherited from her predecessor, the case of Jason Stockley, a white officer who was accused of shooting and killing a black man and then planting a gun on him. And there we saw Stockley acquitted, which sparked protests across the city, and Gardner said that his acquittal demonstrated the need for independent investigations into police shooting. So in 2018, Gardner created an exclusion list, a list of officers whose conduct undermined their credibility, and prosecutors would refuse to issue charges in any case that depended on the testimony of an officer on the list. Though there was also a key exception, right? Any case launched before an officer was placed on the list would still allow them to testify, and in some cases, expected. So Gardner's list started with officers who refused to cooperate with their office in cases of police shootings. But then, with the Plain View Project of 2019, the list grew to include officers that had made racist, violent, or anti-Muslim posts on social media. And notably there, Murphy was added to that list for posts that he made regarding the protests after the acquittal of Stockley. And so after being placed on Gardner's exclusion list, Murphy just outright refused to testify in at least nine murder trials where he was the lead detective, deciding that if Gardner was going to place him on her list, insulting his character, then he wasn't going to cooperate with her prosecutor. And so in one of those trials, a man charged with murder was found not guilty and walked free, with Murphy himself saying that his refusal to testify helped sink the case against the guy, with at least one juror agreeing with that. Murphy also said that he would help other murder suspects walk free to make his point, even if he had arrested them and believed they belonged in jail. Also, beyond just the one that walked free, several prosecutors have said that Murphy's refusal to testify contributed to them, offering reduced charges and lighter sentences to those he arrested. And it's also incredibly important to note here that Murphy has faced absolutely zero discipline for refusing to do what is a major part of his job. Though also of note here, when his supervisors realized that he couldn't be on a case without risking the wrath of the prosecutor's office, he was given a patrol and made a beat cop. Which, you know, sounds like a punishment, right? Even then, he was still asked to investigate cases despite being on the exclusion list, and he even maintained the same salary. And a big thing here is that even Gardner's predecessor said that Murphy's behavior was unacceptable, saying the mindset that I'm not going to testify in murder cases as a protest is, I believe, unprofessional. Though also a big note here is that Gardner is not the only one who has fought against police departments like this. Right? I mean, in just the last decade, we've seen prosecutors in Chicago, Philadelphia, and San Francisco promising systematic reform. However, in each of those places, prosecutors saw resistance and pushback from police departments and their unions. Right? They were accused of being soft on crime while enduring political machinations to try and remove or slim down their power. With, for example, Kim Fox, a former Cook County state's attorney, saying, From the moment we came into office, we reached out to our partners in law enforcement, and what we saw was there was a segment of them who were never going to be satisfied with me in this role because I said black lives matter, because I said we need police accountability, because I said that we had a criminal justice system that overly relied on incarceration that targeted black and brown communities. And she went on to say that she, Gardner, and many other prosecutors, quote, have been faced with an unprecedented level of hate and vitriol from police departments. But despite all the challenges faced by prosecutors across the country, Roger Murphy still holds the title for the most blatant and least punished act of sabotage. Because among other things, when given the opportunity to take a person that he believed was a murderer off the streets, he decided not to. But with all that said, of course, with this story, I gotta ask you, what are your thoughts here and why? And then, for your daily piece of internet drama news, we should talk about this Mr. Beast Rosanna Pancino scandal. Right, well, all of this went down over the weekend. This all stemmed from allegations that she made surrounding the creator game, specifically the installment that aired December of 2021. Because there, Mr. Beast had a bunch of major creators for the platform playing a big game, a hide-and-seek in SoFi Stadium. And Rosanna claimed that Mr. Beast actually edited the video to make it look like she did worse in the challenge. Saying on Trisha Paytas's podcast, They edited me out somewhere in the middle when really I was top three. I was just so heartbroken when the video was released because it made me feel like I wasn't good enough. You. It just feels icky and it kind of felt like a boys club. And with her saying no one reached out to her about it, but she didn't speak up at first because she didn't want to stir drama or cause problems. She just wanted to be nice. And in addition to the podcast, she also posted a ton on social media with her saying there that the situation was quote, extra upsetting because I genuinely believed Mr. Beast when he said that his videos are authentic and real. And adding he edited the video to look like the final three people were LeRae, Logan Paul, and Zach King. But adding the final three people were actually Zach, Quackity, and myself. And with all this explaining that she actually knew who had been found when they were found because everyone had earpieces. And saying she specifically remembers when she learned that she had lasted long 
longer than Logan Paul because she was super proud of that since he's so competitive. But then writing, despite Jimmy editing out the only female in the top three, I was proud of what I had achieved. She also then went on to share screenshots of DMs she allegedly exchanged with Mr. Beast, in which it appears he reached out in hopes of talking to her on the phone about all this. And then her explaining the mental toll that it's taken on her, Mr. Beast saying he didn't want to make her look bad, again, suggesting they just chat, which Rosanna asked why he lied, why he misrepresented the timeline, and responding, I don't know, it's been a while, let's talk it out, let's figure it out. And at that point, she claimed that he stopped responding with her, suggesting that anything he wants to say on the phone, he should be willing to put in writing. And so all of that resulting in some mixed responses. Right on one hand, you had a lot of people supporting her, people thinking she seemed so nice, she would never call someone out for no reason. Or people writing things like, hope everyone knows that Rosanna is one of the least combative and kindest people on YouTube right now. She literally has no scandals. The fact that she is calling him out and has issues with him should be a huge indicator of how much you've messed up. Some also accusing Mr. Beast of misogyny. Though also you saw a lot of the opposite online. Right? Some saying it feels weird because she's claiming misogyny, but Quackity was also affected by the edit. Others saying it appeared that Mr. Beast actually wanted to try to talk things out, but she's, you know, out there sharing private DMs. Right? Some thinking that she's being dramatic, crying the way Rosanna Pansino was explaining her situation with Mr. Beast, you'd expect there to be a serious allegation or crime at hand, or that Jimmy had broken into her house and stole her money. Quote, mental anguish and stayed silent for editing errors. Some also accusing her of trying to chase clout with this. Some saying, you know, she released a music video amid all this. With people going on to say, to call Mr. Beast scummy or disrespectful for what he did would have been something I can agree with. But to make this level of reach over an editing and placement switch in a charity hide and seek match for a YouTube video to which now countless people are accusing him of being sexist and racist is beyond me. And then all of this actually leading her to apologize. With Rosanna writing, I would like to apologize to Mr. Beast. I should have expressed my feelings privately and handled things directly. I will be removing all of the posts where I talk about creator games and Jimmy, but adding, I will be honest in that the thousands of death threats I've received today are a contributing factor. But I do also sincerely hear the feedback from so many of you. Though again, that received with mixed reactions, some thinking she's not the one who owes people an apology, or some also thinking that it looks like Mr. Beast forced her to say this, so others still accused her of handling the whole situation poorly. But ultimately, I think that's the situation. I think that's where it's going to end. Like maybe there would be another part of this if it wasn't just that first place got money for their charity. But like where you landed on second, third, fourth, that impacted other things other than maybe like how people perceived you in that video. Yeah, what are your thoughts here? And then, you know, sleep is key to a happier, healthier life. But also when you're busy with work, kids, and life's typical stressors, you don't always sleep well. And that's even when you get to bed on time. But that's also where today's fantastic sponsor comes in. Beam. Right by now, you've probably heard me talk about Beam's delicious hot cocoa with five natural ingredients that put me right to sleep, helps me wake up feeling amazing. And not only is it delicious, it contains five powerful natural sleep-promoting ingredients like nano hemp, reishi mushroom extract, magnesium, L-theanine, and melatonin. It's third-party lab tested, contains no THC, and is trusted by top athletes to help them get their best sleep and recovery. And Beam has multiple flavors to choose from. I'm personally liking the white chocolate peppermint at the moment. So if you find your sleep hygiene to be lacking, Beam's dream powder is for you. Just go to shopbeam.com slash defranco and use code Franco to save up to 35% off the original price and get a free frother when you subscribe. I'm personally hooked and you will be too. That's shopbeam.com slash DeFranco and use code DeFranco to let them know we sent you. And then is Charlie D'Amelio mocking the working class? Because right, that is what a lot of people are accusing her of doing after she posted a video where she was working at a cash register at Walmart and are reportedly doing this to promote Be Happy Snacks, a popcorn line that she and her family launched as being sold at Walmart. With the family posting a handful of videos of them at Walmart as part of the promotions, including one where Charlie's in a cashier vest scanning bags of the popcorn kind of making faces and flipping her hair while doing so. And that video has gone absolutely viral with tons of people slamming it and saying things like watching someone who won the lottery of life gleefully pretend to do a minimum wage job that crushes people's hopes and dreams has me fantasizing about rebooting the French Revolution franchise for modern audiences, as well as rich people pretending to be poor will always piss me off. Meanwhile, you have others saying rich people need to stop treating working class people like a costume. Others noting that it's not just one video, pointing out another promotional clip where she and her sister Dixie are kind of goofing off while working at Walmart. And with this, people going like, it's just really weird 
weird how tone-deaf 90% of influencers are. Like, we've seen this happen before, and the influencer always gets ripped to shreds by the public, so why does it keep happening? And so with this situation, I'd love to know your thoughts. Like, do you understand the frustration and the anger, or do you think that it's overblown? But I also want to end this story with just a statement that I've said to varying degrees over the last 15 years of doing this job. I think that it should be required before you turn 18 or 21 that you have to do a year of retail and or a year of working as a server in a restaurant or something where you have to work with the public because it will open your eyes to just how fucking just casually horrible people can be. And among other things, it will change how you perceive and treat others. And then it is officially looking like the war between Israel and Gaza is entering its next step after Israel seemingly began its ground invasion of the region. Right? According to the Israeli defense minister, Yov Gallant, they had, quote, moved to a new phase in the war, saying we attacked above the ground and under the ground and the operation will continue until further notice. Additionally, the invasion also coincides with Israeli forces bombarding Gaza even more. However, exact details are a bit light right now, not only because of the fog of war, but because Israel itself is being kind of hush-hush about the whole situation. The IDF only really saying that their forces were fighting Hamas squads in northern Gaza, but what towns or other objectives have been taken remain unclear. But one thing we do know is that Hamas remained defiant and over the weekend launched massive rocket attacks into Israel, and with them still having its 200-plus hostages. Also speaking of that, multiple outlets have reported that two Israeli officials claimed that the decision to invade was made late Thursday night after hostage negotiations failed. We've also gotten some news about the hostages, at least from Israeli authorities, and it's generally not good. Because while well, last week we got the great news that some were being released, this time we're hearing that some of the missing people have been confirmed dead. One such person is reportedly Shani look. Right? She was seen in various footage being paraded around in the back of a truck with a mangled body and almost assuredly dead based on her injuries, although her family thought her to still be alive. And that's because they had received news from inside Gaza claiming that she was actually alive but in critical condition within a hospital. With that, you now have the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs saying, we are devastated to share that the death of 23-year-old German-Israeli Shani Luk was confirmed. And saying Shani, who was kidnapped from a music festival and tortured and paraded around Gaza by Hamas terrorists, experienced unfathomable horrors. And according to her mother, who now believes Shani died on October 7th, Israeli forces confirmed her death after finding a skull fragment and matching the DNA, with doctors concluding that it would be impossible to live without that fragment. With that, Israeli President Isaac Herzog adding to that, saying, These barbaric, sadistic uh, animals simply chopped off her head when they were attacking and torturing and killing Israelis. It's a huge tragedy. And German Chancellor Olaf Scholz saying, This shows the full barbarity behind the Hamas attack, who must be held accountable. This is terror, and Israel has the right to defend itself. And as for the others taken hostage, it's unclear what's going to happen to them. Or there was hope Hamas would release a sizable number of them who aren't even Israeli, such as the 18 Thai migrant workers. But that hope has since been crushed after Hamas made it clear that it considers everyone they're holding Israeli. And considering Hamas's general hate of Israelis and Jewish people, that's not a good thing. One of the really troubling of these so many things in the situation is they are hardly the only people who feel this way. Right all over the world, anti-Semitic rhetoric and attacks have skyrocketed, and these haven't been isolated incidents either. They often involve huge groups of people such as in Dagestan, Russia, where over the weekend a large mob took part in storming a local hotel and airport in order to search for Jewish people, with it seeming like the riot started or at least was encouraged by the telegram channel Utro Dagestan, or with them reportedly giving news about the region with a dash of conspiracy theories for good measure. And on their page, they told people about the Jewish guests at the hotel and plane arriving from Tel Aviv and encouraged people to stop everyone coming and demand they denounce the Israeli government. And on top of that, they want people to mark down the license plates of any Jewish people, follow them, and also mark down where they were staying. Without a lynch mob storming the airport in order to find any Jewish people, but they weren't really sure which plane they were looking for, so they just kind of attempted to storm all of them. So you had employees rushing people back onto planes to try and protect them, and in one announcement, a pilot can be heard saying, this is your captain. There's an angry mob outside that doesn't know where we've come from and why we are here. It's possible we'll also come under attack. In fact, it got so bad that Russia shut down the airport yesterday, with Dagestani authorities condemning the mob and claiming it was motivated 
motivated by misinformation from foreign adversaries. So with that, it is sadly not super surprising that a thing like this happened in Dagestan, given the general anti-Jewish sentiment that often comes out of there, but also doesn't help that Russia in general has a long, long tradition of targeting Jewish communities and people. I mean, so much so that there is a word for it, pogrom, which is something believed to have died out by the mid 20th century, but it's sad to see that it's coming back. Especially when you also consider that a lot of Jewish people around the world don't even agree with the Israeli government's actions and pressure it to do better, which actually brings us to the last thing. It appears that the Israeli government is moving to do at least the bare minimum to not commit a genocide in Gaza by reopening two of the three pipelines into Gaza. Now, that doesn't mean that water will be back to how it was, which to be clear, wasn't great to begin with, but it does mean that it'll be enough for basic necessities, at least according to Israeli authorities. But for now, we'll have to wait to see what happens from here, but it is not great knowing that things are, it, I don't see this in any way not getting a lot, lot worse. And then, you know, we're continuing to see the violence between Israel and Hamas spilling over into the U.S. Or for example, you have Jewish students at Cornell University on edge after several threatening and violent statements were posted online. Right? According to reports, these menacing messages were posted anonymously on an online forum about Greek life that's not affiliated with the university. With screenshots of the post then shared online, showing users with anti-Semitic usernames writing some really scary shit. Right? One post under the name Jew Evil had the title Jewish People Need to Be Killed, calling students rats an anti-Semitic trope, and saying, if you see a Jewish person on campus, follow them home and slit their throats. And adding that they need to be eliminated from from Cornell. Another post by a user called Kill Jews was titled Gonna Shoot Up 104 West, which is a reference to the building that houses the campus's Center for Jewish Living, as well as its kosher and multicultural dining room. Other posts by users like Hamas warriors saying that Jews are excrement and calling for the rape and murder of all Jew women before they birth more Jewish Hitlers. And so we're talking about direct threats here. And as far as how the school has responded in a statement, Cornell's president, Martha Pollack, she said that the university police were immediately informed and were guarding the Center for Jewish Living and Kosher Dining Hall. Also adding that the police had investigated the matter and they referred the situation to the FBI as a potential hate crime, with a statement saying, we will not tolerate anti-Semitism at Cornell. Threats of violence are absolutely intolerable, and we will work to ensure that the person or people who posted them are punished to the full extent of the law. But unfortunately, this is just part of a growing trend. I mean, these threats have come as advocacy groups have recorded huge spikes in both anti-Semitic and Islamophobic incidents the war began earlier this month. In fact, last Wednesday, the Anti-Defamation League said that it had recorded 312 anti-Semitic attacks since October 7th, a nearly 400% increase since the same time last year. And that same day, the Council on American-Islamic Relations said that it had seen 774 complaints of Islamophobic incidents since October 7th, marking the largest number of complaints in nearly a decade. So, I mean, we're seeing super scary and alarming shit, and I really don't know how to end this piece except maybe saying, stay safe, be vigilant, and watch out for your community. Because none of this is normal, and I know there is like a section of the internet that are like, you know, what's happening on the internet and what's happening in the real world, it's different shit. No, it's just an aspect of it, and in the case of violence, it is a precursor to it, especially when it directly calls for it. And then, Ron DeSanctimonious, the high-heeled princess of Cala, Florida, or whatever uh, Donald Trump's gonna call him next month, he, or rather his presidential campaign, is in serious trouble. Because for months and months, King Florida Man's been polling at second place among the Republicans running for president. Though, of course, he and all the others have been trailing so far behind Donald Trump. But now notably, there's another person going for silver right now, with a new poll of Iowa voters showing that Nikki Haley is actually now tied for second, with DeSantis both having 16%. And very notably, that is both due to DeSantis slipping in the polls as well as Haley rising, with Haley now having about triple her support since August when she was polling at just 6%. Meanwhile, DeSantis lost 3%, falling from 19% during that same time period, which I know may not seem like much, but it could have a huge impact. I mean, one, it shows that DeSantis's campaign just continues to falter, with him notably losing ground with both and MAGA Republicans, but also too, as someone starts jumping more and more in the polls, it becomes easier for people to jump on with them. Though again, the, the big caveat here is that it comes as Trump continues to dominate the polls, with his latest Iowa survey still placing him at 43%, which is actually a percentage point higher than what he had in August. And what's more, 65% of likely Republican Iowa caucus goers say they believe that Trump can win a general election against Biden regardless of legal challenges. Though also here, of course, important to note that this poll is just of Republicans in Iowa, but because their caucus is the first contest in the nation, it really does help set the tone. And there, 
I am uh, sorry to inform you, the Iowa caucus is just three months away, which means while obviously things have been moving, things have been happening, the 2024 elections are about to kick off. So brace yourself because uh, you thought shit was crazy. It's it's not going to get less crazy. And then you know, holidays have a fun way of sneaking up on you. If you haven't started preparing for the chaos of holiday mailing and shipping, you're already behind. So thank you to stamps.com slash Phil for the reminder and for sponsoring today's show. Because y'all, stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to 84% off USPS and UPS. Are you selling products online? They seamlessly connect with major marketplaces and shopping carts. And stamps.com has been convenient and cost-effective for me. I get all mailing and shipping done without even leaving my house. And taking care of orders on the go is even easier with their mobile app. You can also print official US postage from your computer 24-7. They even send you a free scale so you have everything you need. Also need a package pickup? Easily schedule it through your stamps.com dashboard. And a really key thing is that stamps.com saves you time and money. It frees me up to make these extra large shows to make the next big drop to spend more time with my family. I'm not working for the sake of it. I'm working it so that I can enjoy my life. So y'all give your business the gift of stamps.com so your mailing and shipping's covered this holiday season. Sign up at stamps.com slash fill for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage, a free digital scale, and no long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com slash fill. And then President Biden just issued the first ever executive order to regulate AI. By the time that you're watching this, it may have already signed it. And all of this incredibly notable because this move has been widely described as the federal government's most sweeping attempt to regulate AI to date as the industry continues to grow rapidly. When I say sweeping, I mean it. This order has a ton of different elements that were outlined in a White House fact sheet. Well, for the sake of time, I'm not going to touch on every single thing. I do want to summarize a few key points. Right, so the order is divided into a handful of different areas with the first and most comprehensive being safety and security. And on this front, one of the most notable actions the order takes is requiring the designers of, quote, the most powerful AI systems share the results of their internal safety tests and other critical information with the federal government, which would be a major change from the status quo, with Axios explaining that the move is a significant transparency-boosting step that may not be welcomed by the secretive industry. The order also directs a number of different federal agencies to design standards, tools, and tests to make sure AI systems are safe and secure, this including preventing AI from being used to make dangerous biological materials and protecting Americans from fraud and deception among other measures. And the second general action area in the order concerns privacy protections for AI included. Prioritizing the development of privacy tools like finding ways to keep the data used for training AI private. Strengthening existing agency guidelines including ramping up protections for personal consumer data as well as setting new guidance to ensure the federal government's privacy protections are actually working. And beyond the top level security and privacy provisions this executive order also has a big focus on ensuring that AI is used to advance equity and civil rights with a giving guidance to landlords, federal benefits programs, and federal contractors to prevent AI from being used to exacerbate discrimination as well as both addressing existing discrimination in AI algorithms and developing best practices for the use of these programs in the criminal justice system. And so those are kind of the main three big buckets here, but also there are a number of other important areas the order focuses on, like studying the impact AI can have on the labor market and displacing people from their jobs as well as developing practices to address that displacement and ensure people working in the AI industry have proper labor protections, as well as promoting competition and innovation by giving small developers and entrepreneurs technical assistance and resources while also modernizing the visa process to both attract and keep high-skilled immigrant workers, advancing American leadership overseas by expanding efforts to develop international frameworks and standards for AI, and ensuring that U.S. agencies use AI effectively and responsibly by issuing new guidance, helping the agencies acquire AI, and hiring professionals in the industry. Right? And so in all of this, there's a lot of really technical details, and I'm going to link to the full fact sheet so you can dive deeper. But of course, with this, one of the biggest questions is, will this order actually do anything? Will it actually help govern an industry and ecosystem that are developing so insanely fast it's close to impossible to actually keep track of? Right? And actually, to that point, Biden's order does acknowledge that it can only go so far and that Congress needs to pass legislation regulating AI. 
AI. But also the idea of Congress being able to do anything comprehensive with as much of a shit show as it is right now, that, that doesn't seem likely. But hey, I also say that as a cynic who loves to be proven wrong. But in the meantime, we'll have to wait and see. And then let's talk about yesterday today, where we take a look back at the last show. We dive into those comments to see what news stood out to you, what were your thoughts were, what your opinions were. Also, sometimes what are your experiences? And there, you know, I saw there was a lot of conversation about schools canceling Halloween. Some saying things like, I think the ban is silly. There's almost no connection to the original celebration. Instead of constantly removing celebrations, why not be more inclusive? Adding, when I was younger, we had a pretty big split between Jewish and Catholics in my school. We would end up doing both Hanukkah and Christmas festivities. I still remember Latkes Day. It was awesome. My friends who were lucky would get both Hanukkah and Christmas gifts. Times were chill. Times were better. So with that, you had some responding. They didn't want to exclude poor families who couldn't afford costumes. But like they could have had a Halloween-themed arts and crafts day where kids could make their own costumes if that was the case. You also had others sharing, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. I was not allowed to celebrate Halloween. In the moment, I never felt left out or bad because my friends were celebrating a holiday I could. I would feel terrible if my friends didn't get to do what they wanted because people were worried about offending me or my family. But you also had some saying, as a father of two, I too find it silly and sad that kids can enjoy being kids at Halloween. With that said, I have seen many families who can't afford the costumes or candy, and to hear that it makes some children uncomfortable is heartbreaking. I don't think officials want to ban something like Halloween, but what's the alternative when some are being excluded for any reason? Also, there was a decent chunk of conversation around the gym owner that had a camera in the women's restroom, and there we saw people saying and agreeing with the statement, you don't leave personal items in a public area of your place of business. You put your personal items in your office or keep them on your person. When he realized his dental products were being taken by a friend slash a customer, he should have either put a lock on the cabinet or just move his personal items to his office where they should have been. Putting a security camera in a private area is negligent no matter the reason. His explanation doesn't feel like an explanation. It feels like an attempt at an excuse, which is gross. And arguably, everyone was kind of on the same page there. You also had a lot of people sounding off on the, the girl who said she was getting overwhelmed by working a nine to five and all the time that like went into actually getting to the job. And there I saw y'all sharing things like millennial here and I totally sympathize with that poor girl working her first job. We're told so many times that we need to work our asses off in school and then you get your dream job and things will get better only to be slapped in the face with a horrible job and a horrible commute that doesn't actually let you live. I've been working since I was 15 then went to school while working and eventually dropped out because I couldn't handle not having a life or the cost. She's right to feel the way she does and I've always hated the suck it up mentality. I certainly hope that more people her age have this attitude so that things can change in the future and those generations won't have to deal with that. Others sharing they've worked since they were 15 and asking why are we defending the shitty corporations who are the ones profiting off working us to death and noting other countries have adopted a lighter work schedule for their employees. We can do the same. Some calling the story eerie, saying this happens at every generation. It seems like bait to divide us during a time we are seeing big gains in labor. Nobody wants to quote do a job. They want to earn money. They want to be useful. I hope that girl feels useful and I hope the rest of us focus on making work easier and less soul sucking. And then others chiming in, there seems to be so much people missed in the video of the girl complaining about her job. She actually said she enjoyed the job. Her complaint was that she couldn't afford to live close enough where she wouldn't have to spend so much time commuting. That extra time ate up the day and was wearing her out. But that is where your daily dive into the news is going to end. Though, for more news you need to know, of course, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap or I got links down below. And of course, remember, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you right back here for more news tomorrow.